Fixate on Code, episode 24. All right, Larry Buerta here, and you are listening to Fixate on Code, the weekly bite-sized podcast where I talk to the best devs about their favorite strategies for writing great code. Now, let's chat with today's featured guest, Chris Coyer. Chris, thanks for joining me today. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on, Larry. Chris is the creator of CSS Tricks, a co-founder of CodePen, and a host on the popular dev podcast, Shop Talk. With Chris's involvement in making CSS, JavaScript, and SVG more accessible to developers, Chris has had a profound impact on both everyone using the web and everyone building for the web. Chris, can you fill in some of the gaps in that intro and tell me a little bit about what you get up to when you're not writing code? No, that was a was one of the most well-done intros I've ever heard. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes. It really is largely those three things. I like I remember a point in my life where I was overwhelmed and busy with different little mini projects and and knew that I was like my my favorite three were um working on CSS tricks, working on code pen and working on shop talk and I was like, "You know what? I'm just going to make those are my three things. <laughs> those are the things that I work on. I'm just going to work on them forever." Because I just had learned by that point that being persistent and, you know, kind of finding the things that you love and working on just those things and kind of being protective over that was mm. the way to go. And so now just all, you know, many years later after I made that choice, I'm still working on those three and still just love it. That's awesome. So, yeah, and they're all focused around the world of of kind of talking to other developers and building tools for other developers. So mm. CSS Tricks is like, just like a, largely a blog, but there's screencasts there and forums. And it's just a whole site full of kind of resources for learning Mostly front-end web development, although you know, the name is so cheesy, you know, CSS tricks. Certainly, we write about <laughs> CSS, and there's lots of CSS stuff there, but uh, it's really, it's scoped more widely than that. We talk about anything that's relevant to the web and browsers and that whole world. And, and then CodePen's kind of a, a playground for that in a way, or it's, uh, you know, kind of a, a platform, social network. I don't know, my elevator pitch for it is always a little dicey because it depends on who I'm talking to, but it's CodePen is a code editor in the browser, and so you have an account there, and you create, you know, creations largely with, with front-end code um, or things that utilize preprocessors and, and such, and then you, you know, show it off. Maybe you use that for, you know, showing things to clients or for figuring out little bugs or, you know, prototyping little ideas or showing off some of your best work. You know, people use CodePen for all kinds of mm. different things. That's where most of my time is these days. Love working on, on that. That's the big project. That's a whole team of full-time staff, you know. And then I have a podcast as well, Shop Talk Show. We're both co-podcasters. And believe it or not, right after I am done with this, I have a short break, and then Dave and I record our, our 300th episode. So Jeez. it's kind of a milestone for us. Nice. It's interesting what you say about CodePen having, uh, being used for, I suppose, showing off projects and that sort of stuff. Do you know that Sarah Swedon, her first work came from one of her CodePens? Oh, that's fantastic. Like her first uh, like freelancer, like paid client kind of thing. Exactly. The first project she got came from just someone coming across her code pen and contacting her. Awesome story. And from there, it's just led to this insane presence. I suppose Sarah's, Sarah's presence has been felt everywhere. Absolutely. She's yeah. written amazing articles on SVG, on, on CSS tricks. You guys have tried to push SVG and make it more popular. And mm-hmm. she's been a big part of that. But it was so awesome to find out that her first project was thanks to just making something awesome, putting it on CodePen and someone just finding it. 
I love that it just happens organically. Like, you know, we've had people meet and have kind of personal relationships uh, through CodePen, too. You never know what you're going to get. But when you're a public social network, in a sense, like CodePen, Mm. that stuff's going to happen, which is great. And it's good to hear about as, like, kind of the owner of the product because you're like, I wonder if we could foster that in some way or if it's best left organic, you know. Mm. We actually, you know, way back when have a feature of CodePen that you can, you know, you can mark yourself as hireable. And then on your profile in CodePen, there's a little button that Mm. says hire me and you click it and a modal pops up and you can write that person a message. It's fine as a feature. It's not something that we work on every day. And I don't think we've seen massive success over it. More like we see it happen organically like this, that, Mm. you know, like, hey, I ran across your stuff on CodePen. I love what you do. Do you want to work on this kind of project? And Mm. I don't know. I wonder if it's not something we've leaned into super hard as like a feature of CodePen, but knowing that it works sometimes is interesting. You know, what if we made that easier on either side? Now, Chris, you've been, how old is CSS Tricks now? CSS Tricks started in 2007, so we had our our, our little kind of 10-year celebration, which wow. was just like a blog post and some new t-shirts <laughs> and stuff, no big deal. Uh, earlier this year, in July, so we're 10 and a half years old, I guess, <laughs> working on 11 next year. <laughs> All right, now you've been writing about front-end CSS, JavaScript, and SVG for 10 years, contributing to basically anyone in a front-end position. What are you most passionate about as a developer? Well, it, it puts me in a weird spot, you know, especially now as like in those early days, I was just, you know, mucking around trying to, I don't know, I was literally just screwing around with the blog. I, I liked the idea of blogging. I liked the idea of possibly getting passive income from, you know, having a property online in which that there could be advertising or who knows how to monetize it. But that was appealing to me, you know, like I'll make my money as a dev, but I certainly don't mind having multiple income streams and that mm. kind of thing. But now it's my career, you know, all these years later, I've kind of made it. Made my own boss and making it happen uh, a little bit. So when, as a developer, I'm in this unique position where my favorite thing is kind of being there to empower other developers and lift mm-hmm. other developers up and show what they're working on and find the best ideas and uh, uh, and and spread the best ideas as, as best as I can. You know, I, when I mm-hmm. see cool things, so that's what I get to be passionate about. Fortunately, I get to be a developer who talks to other developers, which which is fine. You know, it's it's it, it's it's a bit niche, but I quite like it. So what were the steps that got you to where you are today? How, how do you start out as a developer, then create this blog, and then eventually you end up building this massive platform that's had such a profound impact on people? What were the steps that got you through there? I was actually asked to, to speak on this, and I, I never really have. Really, I, I always kind of mention it. I don't think my story is as much of a secret. It's also not that fascinating, you know. I just <laughs> I grew up a a privileged middle class kid in middle class the United States in uh, middle America kind of thing, and uh, uh, and just had very supportive parents and had computers around me growing up. So I was asked to speak about this at a conference this past summer here, and it was fun to kind of go back through my own past. I ended up publishing as a blog post called A Lifetime. Time of Nerdery. So if anybody's really <laughs> super fascinated, you could Google a lifetime of nerdery. You'll probably find the CSS tricks post. It's kind of a written out slide presentation of what I said there. But it's it's an extended thing of, of what I just said, really, is that I was fortunate enough to have computers around me from when I was quite young and took to them in a way and was encouraged by the people around me to continue down that path. And through all aspects of my life, as many changes as I've made and different hobbies I've picked up and put down, computers have always been there, always a part of it. I've never put down computers. I've always enjoyed it to to some degree or another. And then you know, at some point when you're in college, you're like, I guess I have to figure out my life now. <laughs> it was no question that 
computers would be a part of it in some way. Mm. Even if I went some different path, there always would have been computers there to some degree. But I was, you know, mostly interested in the design kind of Mm. aspects of it. Uh, And then ended up getting a Bachelor of Arts in college and was like, you know, I, I should probably find some way to turn what I love about design work and the visual aspect of computers with the, some of the nerdier aspects too and the programming stuff. And maybe, maybe I can smash together art and computers and mm. end up with something. And it worked out okay. <laughs> it worked out pretty well, I think. Now, Chris, can you tell me about the worst experience you have ever had on a project? <laughs> you want to get dark? Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that sounds funny. I, I would think, again, Privilege plays a part of this. There's there's been no huge disasters in my career. I don't think you know. I don't think I've ever made anything that like offended somebody so badly that I was pushed <laughs> into the to the blackness of the world in a way, or or faced any adversity so hard that it was that it was rough. So some of the worst stuff I have is just is stuff much lighter than that. Like I had to leave a job because X or something, and mm. I would say that almost every time I have quit a job it was because. I didn't like it there because of a like a lack of influence or something that mm-hmm. I that would be there and I'd be like I I aspire to more I want to do this <laughs> and oftentimes looking back now I've presented that before I left I was like you know I it's an, I like you and I like this place fine but I want to do this instead so will you let me do this and if not no big deal because I'll just leave you mm. know like it's not you don't have to change course just on account of me but this is what I want to do and I'm kind of gonna do it either way. Wow, your your worst experience is that there wasn't enough room to grow. That's that's amazing. Possibly, but <laughs> but then certainly, you know, like we're we have I have troubles all the time. You know, it's not yeah. like life's hunky dory or whatever. But in it's hard. It's almost harder in a sense now. We're six years into running CodePen, mm. and it almost feels like this is the hardest time we've ever had at it. In the early days, it's like it's hard because you're trying to build something and trying to get people to care about it, and there's all those struggles. Mm. But it doesn't feel as like emotionally difficult. It feels like a little easier to back away from in the early days. Now that we're this far into it, we're facing a whole level of struggles on a project and and experiences that are like way less just gleefully fun as they were in the (laughs) earlier days. Now it's like, wow, we have this really big, complicated product that hopefully we've made good tech choices on. We're mired in some other tech choices. Mm. We have lots of human beings involved and a lot of people to do right by and a lot of like just emotions happening and stuff that you, Mm. it's like, it's, it's tricky. So I'd say that I face struggles when I, for example, I've like have let down somebody and didn't even know it, or I let down somebody mm. and I knew it, and that wears on me. Or I let somebody around me get super frustrated and didn't see it, and you know, it's all it tends to be not code things, but people things that yeah. end up being the kind of the hardest. Oh, definitely. Now, Chris, in terms of getting quality work done on a daily basis, you're working on a lot of projects at the same time. Which method or tool do you use that you just hate to be without? <laughs> yeah, I I think the planning and productivity tool stuff is a is a fascinating world <laughs> and I <laughs> It's something I wish I was better at. You know, sometimes you see people that you feel like their power and productivity comes from how they manage their life Mm -hmm. and tools. And you're like, wow, I want to be like you because I feel like I'm winging it on a day-to-day basis. I have all (laughs) the cliche stuff. Like I have a super full inbox, although I feel like I'm pretty good at email. It's not, I'm not one of those like, I have 15,000 unread emails, which (laughs) I always feel like, even if I did, I'm not sure I would tell people that because I'm like, (laughs) I feel like 
all good things happen through email for me. Like all good new relationships and new opportunities and closed deals and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. All email. I don't want people to think that they emailing me is going to get lost in this pile. Anyway, so I do a, a ton of email stuff, of course. I love, I actually quite like email. All good things happen over email. But I write a lot of code, so I stay in my code editor a lot, of course. We work in GitLab at CodePen, which is nice because it's just all of every, it's our issue tracker and, you know, we communicate through code a lot. And so that's, mm-hmm. so that's a big deal for us. But notes-wise, of course, it's Slack. I feel like most of the dev world has kind of embraced Slack as a, you know, I think they like how it's real time and not real time. You know, yeah. you can I can leave a message for somebody on Slack and know that they'll see it eventually when they need to. Or if we both happen to be around, it's a chat room. Mm. Slack has been vital for us. But a big tool lately that we've used that that I can't imagine going back now is Notion. Notion so, and it's kind of like a. It's just not in in a sense. It's just a notes app. You know, you open it up and you have a sidebar full of files, and you can be like, new file. Type, type, type. Here's our meeting notes. Here's our documentation on how we write JavaScript at CodePen. Here's our documentation on how to download and install a new database if you need to. So it's kind of our knowledge base for long-term stuff and short-term stuff. But the way that its UI is and how you can invite people to documents and have shared teams and how you structure your notes has just been so great that I feel like a lot of work happens right in Notion. Like These days, I feel like as much work happens in Notion as does in Slack or more. Wow, that's awesome. I'll definitely be checking that out. Now, Chris, where in your daily work do you still get frustrated? Where do you feel there's room for things to be done in a more effective way? Uh, it's that, really. It's, it's kind of the, the to-do list of, the, of, to, of a day. Mm. And there's always like number one things that are unmissable and unchangeable. For example, I have a podcast with you today. I can't push anything else off. I've agreed to that date and time, so that's the t- date and time we got to do this thing. That's mm. kind of priority number one, really. Uh, unless there was some kind of family emergency or whatever, you know. And then there's, and then there's, okay, now I have an hour. What am I going to do? That's the hardest part. That's the like, I, I, I have 30 open tabs here. Which ones <laughs> can I get closed? Uh, I got to, I know I got to get a blog post done over here. I got some open bugs I should be closing over here. I got this person waiting for me for this asset. I got, you know, long-term goals I should be chipping away at. How the heck do you know which thing you should be doing? Mm. It's hard. It's easier when you're not underwater already. If you're already feeling pretty caught up and happy with where you are and you're not blocking anybody and it's just like a normal old day, that's the best day. You can Mm. pick up anything and work on it and it just will feel good. But when you've let yourself get underwater and there's 30 things that you could pick from, picking one of those, it's almost like double trouble because you you know you got to just get some of them done, but it's hard to pick exactly which one to do. And the picking process can be burning time too. That's the worst. That's the most frustrating thing. It's when you're already busy and you can't seem to figure out how to get out of it. Mm. In terms of new projects and libraries and frameworks, what are you most excited about at the moment? New projects, libraries, or frameworks? Mm. Yeah. That's just a classic joke, isn't it? New framework every five minutes. <laughs> and they're sometimes ignorable. You know, that, that's the, the, there's some wisdom involved with, with, with how to handle that. And it's probably like a number one FAQ of the entire web industry is like, how do I know what to care about and what not to care about and what mm-hmm. to learn and what not to learn and, and all that kind of thing. And I think maybe the, the balance lies in having some awareness of what's going on and where these tools fit with each other, but not necessarily like taking a course on it over the weekend. Because you're mm. like, oh, no, I get it. These are the basic problems that this library addresses. That's either relevant to me or not relevant to me. And 
Uh, and then be be a little slow and, and considerate about it. But certainly, I, I think of our adoption over the last, I guess it's probably been a couple of years now at CodePen over new JavaScript, essentially. You know, we looked at the landscape of it at the time React made sense. And I don't, I don't think that was a bad call now, although there's more hip libraries. You know, I know Vue's so hot and, mm-hmm. and whatever. But I feel like we did a good job deciding to go with a React stack at CodePen and slowly moving to it where we felt the pain the most. And I'm, I'm still excited about that. I think I think I think I saw a tweet by Guillermo Ranch, I think at one point that was like, he thinks React is such a good idea that we'll spend the next decade trying to understand the ramifications of that. <laughs> and I think by React, he meant React and all this, the whole new world of, of new JavaScript. Mm. And I think he's right. I think that's, it's such a big deal. It's such a, when we picked the stack and now we have a, a app that's like half and half, it feels like, and we mm-hmm. of course want to want to move it all to the, the new JavaScript stack as we go. It, it perfectly addressed the problems that we were actually having, mm. which is, you know, a nice, super fast performant front end that's testable, that feels like we're not going to push bugs to it willy nilly because it's because it is well tested and because just the way that it's programmed is less apt to little bugs squirting out. I think that's kind of an untold story of a really good like React and TypeScript based front end is that it's less buggy because mm-hmm. just the way that you write code is is less problematic that way. And but the bigger deal being state and state management in that an app like CodePen has so much on page state at any given moment. Who you are as a person, what the content of the page is, what visually are you looking at, what state are all these little objects and components and chunks in at any given moment is a big, complicated piece of code. And in deciding, hey, you know what we're going to use to track that state is one big JavaScript object that has all that information in it. It's just mm. one big, this is the place where we describe what's happening on CodePen. And then we build the front end around that big chunk of state. Feels great. Of course, it just feels like, yes, yes, that's the <laughs> way that is, is, is appropriate to work. And then knowing these days that because we're building with components, then then you apply styling to those components such that they work together and look cohesive as a whole. So design-wise and front-end-wise and development-wise, it all works together. Just mm-hmm. feels great. It feels like that's that's what I'm excited about is that in a sense, it feels like the web is starting to get figured out a little bit, at least for situations like I just described. Well, there's new specs coming out for people proposing that virtual, well, I suppose the idea of virtual DOM be implemented in terms of HTML templates and native libraries giving us React-like behavior, unidirectional data flow native to the yeah. DOM and native to That's insane. That's crazy. Well, it's, it's, it feels crazy, but is it? You know, like the way that specs have always gone, as far as I know, is look at what people are trying to get the web to do now. Mm. They're doing it en masse. So yeah. this is not a joke. This is that they're not just a trend or something. This is what developers are forcing the web to do. We should make browsers accommodate it more. I feel like mm. every new browser feature isn't just pulled from the sky as like, uh, we bequeath this to you, developers of the world. <laughs> We've decided it's important. It's no, this is what you're doing anyway. We need to accommodate that. So it's it's wow. Thanks, browsers, for listening and doing the right thing here. But but also that's your job. So continue doing it. So with all of the new languages and specs and libraries that are coming out, how do you decide on what to learn and how do you make time to learn? We covered that a little bit. That I I, I think it's it's nice 
if you can, and it's part of, you know, you you have the free time. Not everybody can just sit around reading email newsletters all the time, I mm. realize. But since I've made that kind of my job, I think it feels right. I think it feels good to stay up on the industry at least a little bit. At least read some industry rags, get a few email newsletters or whatever. And then file that stuff away as like, okay, I basically get it. I've read the readme for this new <laughs> thing that everybody's talking about so that even if I'm not jumping on it now or playing with it or taking a course in it, it's filed away in my brain as, oh, I get it. This is one of those state management tools, mm. or this is a thing that helps with real-time communication, or this is a module thing. Oh, this is a thing to scope styles with so that if it so happens that your work needs that kind of thing, you can be like, oh yeah, I'm aware that the world has tried to address these things. And maybe mm. I'll look at the tooling landscape around that thing. But it's certainly not, you know, I do a hello world with every framework that comes out just to see <laughs> what its syntax is like. Absolutely not. Mm. Now, Chris, which specific aspects about programming has dramatically changed the way that you think about and write code? Oh, yeah, I probably should have a better answer. You know, I, I feel like it's nice to toss up, you know, the way that you work sometimes, like on purpose, burn it all down so that you can try something new. Because every time I ever have done that, it's worked out well. Mm. It's been like, oh, I don't, I don't really understand preprocessors. Like uh, my workflow is fine. So I'm just going to continue doing what works totally fine for me. Or like, oh, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to figure out what I need to take advantage of preprocessors. Now, that was probably happening more like six years ago. But I remember that moment. You know, and today I feel like there's devs having that too. Like, I've been writing JavaScript for eight years now. This is just how I do it. I think it's fine. And then to have them be like, ah, I think I'll dive into some new framework and see how they do things. It can be eye-opening. It can mm. be. You know, wow, that that's dramatically changed my work. So I, I would think, I don't know, rather than one specific moment being like choosing on purpose to kind of burn down some way that you used to work just to try something new, knowing that you can go back anytime is, I, I think, a big deal. And it's it's not even just like what languages, what code editor do I use? How do I think about testing? How do I think about choosing what to work on? Uh, but also how you work with other people. You know, we, we, I try to reevaluate that all the time. Be like, should we pair program more? Like, let's say you work at a company that never does that. Maybe you could be like, well, this week, I think we should work together, literally speaking to each, sitting next to each other mm. the entire week to see how that goes. Or we're working in too small of teams. What would it look like if all 10 of us worked on the same problem all week long? Mm. Would it be a better solution or not? You know, reevaluating those things seems just as important or more important than some individual like do I use semicolons or not kind of <laughs> well do you use prettier.js now yes prettier is great it needs to start doing html doesn't it not oh, do html it needs to do everything yeah <laughs> it needs it needs to just consume the world i don't i don't like formatting code anymore if i'm working in anything where my code's not formatted um i feel like there's a part of me that's missing it's <laughs> yeah it's nice how i think they the what why people like it so much is because the de facto was when I hit command S or, or save my code in any way, just automatically do it for me. So I just never ever think about it. It's all happening as, as I'm in the editor, mm. which is great. But I also think it, it started out as super opinionated, like there wasn't a lot of configuration. And as time goes, there's more and more configuration. I almost wish it goes full bore towards configuration. Like I hate to say that because <laughs> I think maybe it's early successes that you didn't have to make a lot of choices. But I think code base to code base, there's too many different things. So mm. we use like, for example, style lint. Mm. 
mm-hmm. for CSS and SCSS checking at, at CodePen. And I love that because there's a million rules that you can configure. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like it's almost too bad that we use Prettier to auto format the code, but then need to configure style lint to match what it does so that they're not uh, fighting each other. I almost wish it was just one tool that I could say, okay, style lint, I know what you want. Just do what prettier does. Make it happen. I mm. think it's moving in that direction. So anyway, that's an aside, but prettier rules too. <laughs> Thanks, prettier. And with that, we've come to the end of our first segment. Chris, I'm about to throw some quick fire questions your way. Let's do this. What is the best advice about programming you've ever received? Wow. Uh, we talked about, uh, you know, every time I've had the opportunity to talk about how that human humans are a part of this too, you know, that I've kind of tried to jam that in there. Maybe I'll do that one more time. And then <laughs> I remember, you know, hearing some, maybe it wasn't directly advice, but it was uh, somebody that I knew talking about how technology changes a whole bunch that but humans don't essentially and that certainly the technology around humans changes but the, what we need from technology doesn't change that much and that stuck with me and that whatever you're building whatever you're doing is for a person who's not going to change day to day what they need out of what you're building for them is probably going to stay largely the same so think about that are, are you building something that's for a person and solving their real people needs hmm. Which personal habits do you attribute to writing better code? Uh, make, making time for, for experimenting with things, you know, kind of burning down the way that you used to do things to, to do it in a new way. I think if, now that you've, if you do that, <laughs> when you come out of it, you'll be better because you'll have whatever you knew before plus whatever you learned from the experimentation. And uh, just if I could do a quick second one, I think writing about that experience has been a big deal. Mm. I think I've gotten to be a better programmer because I also write about programming. Mm. So if I write down, if I learn something and then write a blog post about it, through the writing of the blog post, it's solidifying in my mind. It's making me a better coder because I've had to explain it. It forces you to think about the things that you had no idea were there until you actually started writing about it too. Mm, absolutely. If you could recommend one book on programming, Chris, what would it be and why? Oh, shucks. Uh, early days, <laughs> one of my favorite ones that forced me to learn JavaScript was just called Learning jQuery. And I, you know, I, I just think of it, the, even the cover of it fondly, it's just a very generic looking book. And I don't, it's probably, you know, props to the authors, but it probably follows the formula for any other tech book. I just think of it as like, that was, that one was mine. That was the Learning jQuery is one that took me from somebody that didn't know JavaScript at all to giving me this easy-to-learn framework around it and empowering me and growing up my JavaScript skills over the last decade. That one was great to me, but here's another old one. It was called uh, Designing for Community. Mm-hmm. That, again, is if I'm jamming people stuff into this, of course, everything that we build is for people. So this was, a, was, a, was an old book, but was uh, ahead of its time as far as talking about how technology influences communities of people. And the screenshots in it are like hilariously old, but the words <laughs> in it are just like, yes, these are the same problems that we're facing now. When, I, when we're programming, we need to think about how it influences the people that it's for. Now, Chris, who in the front-end world is doing work that's really inspiring? Oh, man. There's so many, isn't there? Um, I should have prepared for this better. I apologize. But, uh, <laughs> I, have, I have so many people. I can think of David Korshid, who's how he's talking about 
uh, doing animation and front-end development work with state machines. That mm-hmm. I feel like he's ahead of his time in some way. Um, props to, I don't know, Mina Markham for talking about how design systems can be a big deal and influence people. I love everything Scott Jell writes about performance and the, the filament group gang for all their like font loading work and all that stuff. Oh my God, there's, there's so many people. <laughs> I, I want to do a blog post about this. You know, Jeremy Keith has been around for a million years. He's like old school web guy who I've always looked up to Jeremy because I feel like he applies his uh, perspective to things in such mm. fascinating ways. My whole team at, at CodePen, Marie Mosley and Rachel Smith and Jake Alba and my co-founders, Tim Sabat and Alex Vasquez are just super genius people that I that I look up to. You know, it's nice to get, be able to get to work with your heroes in a way. And I feel like I get to do that. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I could list I could list a hundred people. Uh, better stuff. <laughs> now, Chris, imagine you wake up and you have no recollection of ever having written code. With your knowledge of the tools, books and courses available today, how would you go about learning to program from scratch? Oh, I, I don't know. What do I have left? You know, I, I'm still, <laughs> I'm still the person I was. I just don't know how to code. I don't know. That's you wouldn't. It would be overwhelming. You know, you'd be like, I don't, I don't know. This world seems confusing and terrible. I, I would assume that I'd start googling things how to learn because everybody just goes to search engine as their first way. It's not like we go down to the library these days, right? <laughs> unfortunately. So what would you find? You'd probably be heavily influenced by CSS people that tricks. are maybe <laughs> people have done a, a good SEO, you know, where well, CSS tricks would be failing here because CSS tricks has good SEO, but only when you are asking a specific question about code. If you typed in like learning programming, I wonder what you'd get these days it would be like the Khan Academy or something. The, uh, what I, I'd feel optimistic because I think there's so many like good learning resources, mostly paid. You know, I think Khan Academy is is free actually, so mm. at least part of it. So what would you, you, you but whatever the paid ones are, there are they they tend to be pretty good, you know? Mm. They you know, might be Team Treehouse or whatever, and you sign up for that and they're structured to guide you through code. That's something I never had, you know? If there was structured learning out there, I wonder if I would, if it would be good and I would be like, oh, I'm so into this, I'm going to follow it and feel empowered. Or if my mind would reject it and just be like, oh, this is too <laughs> cheesy or, or whatever. I prefer the the battle of kind of learning it myself. I think it's probably a combo. You know, I think of how, you know, I, I'm always trying to get better at playing the banjo and I just don't have that many hours in the day to practice it. But I, t- I try to practice each day when I can. Mm-hmm. But the way that I learn it is... You know, somebody else sent me a song on YouTube, so I watch that YouTube version, but then I find different versions on YouTube to watch, and then I look for tablature so that I have that to reference, and maybe I'll find it in a, one of the books on music I have. I go in person to these jams, and I can watch other people play. And The way that I tackle learning it is multifaceted. It's from all kinds of places. So mm. if I was learning again, it would probably be Maybe I'll take a course. Maybe I'll buy a book. Maybe I'll uh, Google some stuff and see where I land. Maybe I'll build a project of my own that I can work on. Probably tackle it from 10 different ways so that hopefully those things gel with each other and I can learn what I need from each of them. And Chris, let's wrap up with your top tip on how to work smart and the best way to connect with you. Working smart means uh, uh, working persistently, I think, and uh, and sticking sticking with things. You know, if something's frustrating to you, then maybe that's a good sign, mm-hmm. and uh, you should battle through that that frustration at least to a point of your own satisfaction. Because I think you'll feel good at it. so 
working smart is not giving up, I'd say. And uh, feel free to hit me up at chriscoyer.net. That's just my personal website that'll kind of redirect to all the different things that I do and uh, let you get to know me should you want to do that. (laughs) To everyone out there, you've been hanging with Chris Coyer and Larry Buerta. Head over to fixate.it where you'll find links and timestamps for everything we've been chatting about today. And of course, head over to codepen.io and make something awesome. And Chris, thank you for sharing your journey with Fixate on Code. Keep pushing the limits and keep pushing great code.